Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. If you look at the millennial generation, just 31% can own their own homes in the UK. In France, that figure is 41%. Now, partly this is a function of supply. When Labour left office, of course, they famously remarked that there was no money left. They'd also uh, totally failed to build uh, new homes at the rate that was necessary. This is the Debunking Economics Podcast with Steve Keen and Phil Dobby. Well, remember that man a year ago talking about how after 13 years in power, you can still blame the previous government for not building enough houses. But that is a big part of the problem with housing in the UK, isn't it? And in Australia and many parts of the world where prices are going up and unaffordability is only getting worse. There's just not enough new houses being built. So we know who loses when house prices go up. But who are the winners? And other than building more houses, what can we do to make housing more affordable? That's this week on the Debunking Economics Podcast. So, Steve, despite the the cost of living crisis in the UK, we've seen the average UK house price. And it is an average, so it's a bit meaningless because, I mean, there's a huge variation, obviously, across the UK. But the average UK house price has increased by 3.5% in the 12 months to April 2023. So here we are. Interest rates are through the roof. Mm. People, you know, prices are through the roof as well. Uh, We're getting taxed more than ever before. Mm. There's a real cost of living squeeze but we're still finding money to increase house prices by three and a half percent in the 12 months to april 2023 actually in october uh, prices are even higher they've come back a bit they're 1.7 percent higher than they are now but still 3.5 percent year on year how is that happening i think the stimulus that we had due to covid is mm. a, a part of the reason why because the that the deficit the government ran massively increased the amount of money in people's bank accounts. You couldn't spend a lot of that money on many consumer items which had just gone by the wayside in the meantime, travel being an obvious one, of course. And people with extra cash had more for a deposit and that was a major barrier for buying into housing and suddenly they were over that barrier and they decided to go and use that extra money as so a deposit. So new, new buyers coming into the market. New buyers or buyers, all, you know, well, yeah, well, the new buyers, people who didn't have the money power beforehand. Yeah. The government stimulus gave them the additional to get over the deposit hurdle and bang, they're into the market. So in our street there, everyone's done the house up during the lockdown so that money you know they, they had their house they've got their they've got their mortgage but they the garden centers were open just about the only thing that was open during lockdown mm. and so with diy stores uh, so we all spent them you know the spare cash that we had because we couldn't buy anything else on buying plants for the garden and uh, you know and all the diy stuff so we were i'm not sure you know it's not going to account for all of it but it'd be a contributing factor wouldn't it the housing stock perhaps has got better because we spent money doing our houses up during the last couple of years yeah oh, well it wouldn't be hard to improve most english houses thank I mean, you pardon me but i invite him around to our house and all he does is <laughs> complain about english houses it, it, it's it's a, because i spend so much time in europe as well as here mm. and you see the quality of the housing stock uh it's just just ridiculous how much better most of the housing stock is in Europe than it is in the UK. Doors that shut 
doors that keep the outside air out when you want it out, windows that are double glazed. Yeah. I mean, you know. We do have a problem with drawers closing in our kitchen, I have to say, but we're going to fix that because we're going to redo the kitchen when we can afford it. So there we are. More housing improvement. We And obviously, we are all aspirational towards European standards because uh, that's what people want in Britain. We just want to be Europeans. Obviously, uh, it's um, but yeah, but I mean that anyway. That would be an element of it. But but your your point is no. Most of it is actually just being pushed up. Prices are being pushed up because yeah. I mean prices of you know house house prices borrowing. have become the topic of conversation in most developed countries because they've got out of have reach. become they have been for huh? years. Huh? They? It's been a topic of conversation for as long as I've lived. I think. Unfortunately, if you go back to it began with the deregulation of the housing market, uh, which which really began in the seventies. It mm. became uh, on steroids in the 80s in the UK but what that enabled was were banks to get in like in the in the UK case for quite quite some really until 1982 if you wanted to borrow money to buy a house you had to borrow off a building society and what a building society was is a classic loanable funds where some people have put their money into the bank into the building society uh, ahead of you that money goes into a bank account uh, you then want to borrow you get you can take the money out of that building society bank account to do your buying but anybody who's put their money in knows that they it's not a demand deposit you can't demand it back straight away because it's being invested in property for somebody else yeah and once it's in there you can't get it out easily okay yeah. that's a, the whole idea of a building society mm. and you have to invest and be there for some time before they'll consider so they're you not loan. creating money in the they're way not creating money yeah now suddenly we deregulate and banks are creating money and bang that gives you a, a cause to drive the house prices up mm. and the link is quite straightforward uh if you would think about it, if you're buying a house, then you, most of your purchase power comes from borrowed money. Okay. If that borrowed money is creating new money, it's creating additional demand. And that demand is what sets the house price. And then what sets the change in the house price is the change in that demand. So what drives house prices is the change in new mortgages, new mortgage debt. Yeah. Compared to GDP, and that's a, uh, when you do the empirical work. And I, I work in a paper with Paul Omerond, and um, I've forgotten my co-author who did the empirical work. We did the causation: what causes the change? Does how, do house price changes cause mortgages, or do mortgage changes cause house price changes? And overwhelmingly, the causation was the opposite direction: mortgage change caused house price change. So we have, and that, that is, I mean, you know, I mean, you, do, you don't need to think too hard about that, particularly in in places like Australia, where you go to a house price auction and the house you, price auction rather you, actually auctioning the house price rather yeah than exactly the house, the house. That's pretty got, much it. well yeah it has got very you're buying a house price <laughs> this house price will rise and you do you go to you the you might be able to sleep in the rooms as well I mean we haven't checked the bedrooms yet but um, there may be bedrooms inside that and house and the sale goes like this you go to the bank because of course you've got to turn up with a 10% deposit as a check or a 5% or a 2.5% whatever yeah. it might be yeah, but when I, when, years, I, when, I, years, when I was yeah. doing when I bought stuff at auctions it was always 10% so you go to your bank uh, the week before and say, okay, I've got a couple of auctions that I want to go to. Yep. How much can I borrow? And they'll say, well, you can borrow this much. Okay, here's a check for 10% of it. And they mm. give you the check. You go along. You look at that check and go, okay, well, I can I can bid up to 10 times the amount because that's all I've got the deposit for. <laughs> and I'm going to go all the way to the edge of that, which is entirely what will the bank lend you rather than what is the house worth? Because mm. you're there looking at everybody else who wants the house as well. 
And it is, it's the whole fear of missing out. I want yep. to get this house. It's, it becomes an emotional thing. Uh, and uh, because you've got the, the, perhaps got the attachment to the house, or you're just desperate to buy a house because you've been to so many bloody auctions and you're sick of it. Uh, and you've gone through all the bother about getting, um, you know, the house inspected. Mm. In Australia, you could do all the searches and all that sort of stuff before you have the auction. It's a crazy way it operates there. Mm. Uh, so, uh, yeah. So you're, you, it is entirely being driven by that conversation with your bank manager about how much you can have. Yeah, and that's what drives house prices. So letting banks lend to housing mm. has been the cause of the house price bubble. And now we've, we've, we've reached a saturation level of private debt before COVID hit. And that what, what it meant was people had to – like the deposit became out of reach. Yeah. Right? It wasn't just a case that the interest rate was you – know, well, the interest rate had fallen dramatically. Right. So uh, then the government comes along and says, there. we're going to pay you now yeah. uh, to stay at home. You don't need to pay your train fare to get into work. And, then and there's nothing the else you can buy. You yeah, got, so you got the deposit. deposit. And that yeah. triggered the next level of lending. Right. But, okay, but why would we do this? So if we, so the UK – and because the house prices have increased, but they're not increased – enormously compared to other things you can invest in so uh house prices in the uk and this is obviously mirrored in most developed countries house prices have gone from one hundred and fifty thousand in early 2005 can you imagine buying a house for one hundred and fifty thousand now it's uh to peak over two hundred and ninety thousand last october so they're close to doubling Mm. in the uk in 18 years but that is 20% higher than it should be if you based it on inflation. Mm. So you could say, well, okay, if I bought then and sold, that's mm. a 20% return mm. I've got. But if you look at the FTSE 100 from the same period, it's gone from 2,800 to 7,200. So that's two and a half times higher. That mm. is a much better investment than housing. They are both assets. Why the huge variation? And why would you choose the house rather than investing in shares? And invariably, shares are a better return than houses. Well, partially, it's the fact that to actually invest in shares in the first place, you've got to be wealthy. Mm. Okay, like most most people these days through this pension funds have got some exposure to the stock market, but it's not a conscious exposure. It's it's a money pooling effect. Uh, if you're going to have your own broker, then you're in the top maybe five percent of the population. Less than one, I would have thought. But anyway, whatever the day traders and stuff like that as well. But a tiny fraction of the population gets in there. And then, as as well as, like the same effect that I talked about for mortgages applies to shares, it's margin debt. I only can get margin debt data for America. But if you look at the level of margin debt, what people buy shares with is partially borrowed money. So there's more, I think there's more cash, uh, actual money involved in buying shares and there isn't buying houses. Like if you set a 10% deposit beforehand, so 90% of the purchase price is borrowed. In the case of shares with the margin debt, that used to be possible. If you go back to the 1920s, if you put down a 10% deposit on shares, you could buy the other 90% with borrowed money on margin. Mm. Now it's a 50-50 rule. But the same logic still applies. A large part of your purchasing power comes from borrowed money using margin debt. Uh, and then when you take what you get is a relationship between the level of, of new you know, new margin debt and the share prices. So change in new margin debt and change in share prices. The same basic logic applies. So, so it is it is just the the ratio of how much you've got to have to to be able to borrow. But, 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 but the other thing which has been thrown in share prices and this is important is QE mm. because quantitative easing. Um, it was done with the belief, and you can find Ben Bernanke on this, I think in the 2009 uh, papers in 2009-2010, saying that the, gov- the central bank was doing QE to stimulate 
uh, purchases of, of assets, okay? Because they thought that would then, then the wealth effect that I think more assets would cause more consumption. <laughs> now, talk about roundabout stupid logic and not understanding the damn mechanics anyway, but that was a major part of why QE was done. Now, QE was also- Because there'd be people buying buying shares. Their shares would be worth so much more, they, 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 they're then going to sell those shares to spend the money yeah. rather than sell those shares to buy other so, shares. So, you know, it was a complete failure in terms of its impact mm. upon consumption because, funnily enough, before Bernanke came out with that paper, Federal Reserve economists had done work and said, does the wealth effect actually exists and they found it doesn't exist for shares don't have to do a great deal of research there do you just look at a decade and go well okay we we had qe being introduced in various parts of the world Mm. share prices going up consumption not going up yeah yeah but Mm. what drives the share prices up is is when you gave when you when you qe occurred you're buying bonds of current holders of bonds and therefore their bond holdings go down but the holdings of cash go up okay now you're talking about uh that that the private banks who were some of the recipients of QE can't actually spend that money. The belief that the mainstream economists had was they'd lend out their reserves, which which is garbage. Yeah. That is just bad accounting. But on the other side, when you when you bought share when you bought uh, bonds off uh, non bank financial institutions, which were allowed to buy shares, their holding of bonds goes down. Their holding of cash goes up. Cash doesn't earn a return. They use their cash to buy shares instead. So QE definitely in inflated share market, the share market, and then there's a bit of a wash over from that as well into, into share market speculators turning that profit right, so into housing. So without, without QE, that differential between housing and, and investment in it shares wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't be, be as extreme. extreme. Yeah. But, it would, but it's still an opportunity, isn't it? And if you've got extra cash, um, you know, I wonder how much, because I wonder how much new housing, new borrowing we actually have seen over the last few years, because I know lots of people are still struggling, even with the, the ability mm-hmm. to have met the, de- the deposit, of actually being able to afford mm-hmm. to buy, and how much of it, house prices are actually going up from from existing established or or, or people investing in, in property, because mm-hmm. there's a bit of that going on as well. But I mean, if you take it, for example, people investing, putting in, buying an investment property, mm-hmm. you'd, you'd be questioning why would they do that? versus buying more shares if they feel as though they could get a better return on shares. We're still going back to to the property. And I guess if there's too much money anyway, Mm. it's inflating both assets. Mm. And how do you stop that happening? And I've heard people arguing, well, this this is an argument for crypto. It's just another asset class you can buy into it's another ponzi scheme that can yeah. be that can be inflated yeah. and if that goes up in value then perhaps houses won't go up quite as much and shares won't go up quite as much because people aren't plowing money into into those asset classes which becomes a worrying case for the, the finance industry can just keep on investing asset classes for you to invest in to stop this investment over here inflating and this investment over here inflating you know it's We'll and, just create and, more asset classes. And throughout the whole thing, you're not getting any more productive capacity. Out of any of it. You're not producing you know, more things to counter climate change and so on. So it's, it's I mean, I, I keep on coming back to one of the, the most popular posts I ever wrote, which is called The Roving Cavaliers of Credit. Mm. And that's a direct quote from Marx. Karl Marx, volume three of Capital, I think, yeah. talking about- Didn't we, think you were talking Groucho Marx. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, I, th- I think so, I'm a, I actually <laughs> call myself a Groucho Marxist, so <laughs> Marx with a sense of humour. Um and irony, but when you look at, he said, this said, the, the, you know, the, the power of the finance sector. Uh, he said these occasionally the you know, finance dynamics of the system enable these uh, these. Uh, uh, he, he called them usurers. 
okay, uh, and the, the, the stock market speculators and usurists around them to interfere with real production and the gang knows nothing about it and should have nothing to do with it and talk about living through Marx's curse uh, one and a half centuries later. Uh, you have a bunch of morons who should have no, no role whatsoever in deciding investment who dominate it because we've let the finance sector take over everything. That's scary, isn't it? We're talking about one and a half centuries, actually, and how, how much have we moved on, really, in that time? Look, uh, banks are getting given a hard time right now because they are supposedly making a mozza out of high interest rates and they're not passing it on in terms of uh, uh, giving out loans. So in answer, because really today the, the question is, you know, we've got high house prices. Um, uh, who, who are the winners out of all of this? So are, are the banks the winners? Are the property developers the winners? We'll look at all of that when we uh, when we come back on the Debanking Economics podcast with Steve Keen. I'm Phil Dobby. Back after this. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is the Debunking Economics Podcast with Steve Keen and Phil Dobby. So Steve, uh, banks supposedly do a serviceability check of loans that they make to, to make sure that people who are taking out loans can afford to pay them back. Uh, the problem is, of course, they didn't foresee interest rates getting quite so high. So UK lenders, they tend to add a margin of 2.5% to the loans rate when you take out the loan. So uh, so if the interest rate was 2.5%, then you could can you still afford it if the interest rate was at 5%? The problem is a two-year fixed mortgage right now is 6.5%, and a lot of people getting out loans at 1.5%. Uh, so that is a, a, a real issue. Uh, so... Um, and I mean, that shows you where we are right now. Have banks created a rod for their own back? They don't seem to be struggling too much. They seem to be reporting mega profits, even though, you know, you'd imagine they'd have a, a huge amount of toxic loans on their, on their books. Yeah, well, it, I think the issue here is how many loans of variable versus fixed rate. Yeah. Because in the like in Australia's case, I think Australia's probably the canary in the coal mine here, um, that most rates are variable, like eighty percent or more of mortgages yeah, are here is the opposite. Yeah. 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 So you don't get any impact here until people are forced to refinance. Yeah. And so it's the refinancing shock which is the issue. And it's well, we're going through that bit by bit. So two in five yeah. year fixed loans is to what tends to happen here. Mm. Uh, no more than 
five years. So, uh, yeah, we're working our way through that right now. Whereas the Australian, uh, 80% of the mortgage is being variable rate. If the if the central bank puts up the rate by 0.25%, feels it the very away. next day, your rate goes up by 0.25% as well. So consumption should be being squeezed quite radically in Australia right now. And that would be intriguing to see what happens in Australian house prices versus uh, English or American, where you've got that delayed effect. And it's only if the rate still applies when you are forced to refinance that you actually wear the impact of that higher rate. And in the meantime, the point that uh, Warren Mosler makes quite a bit of, anybody who's buying bonds right now is getting a very high return on the bonds. Mm. So uh, that's a positive boost for income at the upper echelons of the economy. Yeah. But it's, you know, it's not the... You know, because bond prices, because the yields are so high, because interest rates are so high, bond yeah. prices have come down so much. Yeah, now that's damaging the value of the assets. If you have bonds which are you know, a fixed coupon rate bond, then you've lost capital value but the new bonds you're buying and if with like yeah. the, the american government is running a deficit of the order of eight percent of gdp yes yeah, so there's a lot of cheap bonds out there a lot of cheap bonds turning up well you yeah. know bonds which are which give you a issued. higher yield yeah yeah and and that again means that there's a you know a dramatic cash flow for those who are buying the bonds mm. uh the the wealthy end of the market not the poor end so the, uh, the the regulator is investigating banks in the UK for not passing on interest rate rises to savers. So the retail net income. So I wondered whether this is actually how it works in effect. They they are two different things, aren't they? Because they because the, a bank will pay an interest rate out to to somebody who's saving. But I, the, 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 that's a bit out of fashion these days, isn't it? The idea of saving. Well, I it? haven't seen interest payment into my account for something like twenty years. Yeah. So yeah. I wonder. Well, whereas, obviously, if they, if you, if you borrow money, they create it. So the idea of the the banks are getting funded by the difference between how much they're paying uh, in interest to savers versus uh, how much they're charging people. Is a misnomer, isn't it? And yet here it's we a myth. Have, it's a myth. Yeah. And yet here we have the FCA, the, uh, the, the you know the, the bank regulator, saying mm. that they're investigating banks because of that differential, and saying that they are making higher income by not meeting that differential, by not passing on the higher interest rate to uh, to people who are who are saving. Mm. I mean, that's it's bizarre that people are talking like this because of course the press is all onto this as well saying yes you know if, the, if, if they've got to behave actually if they did pass on money to saving i mean that's probably not what we we actually don't want people to save do we i mean if you if you're trying to regulate the whole thing and say well what's best for the economy don't save surely spend well i mean save this is another area where uh, terms which make sense for the individual and nonsense for the collective yeah what is saving anyway absolutely yeah. what's the definition of it yeah. yeah so if you want to increase aggregate savings you have to have the government running a deficit yeah or you have to have the private if you look in terms of if you define savings as growth in the, in, M, in m2 then it also comes out of the government's about people borrowing more money from banks and if i pay off my mortgage that little bit faster how that, am i in effect that's saved? negative that's negative savings you're reducing the amount of money in private bank accounts mm. uh, so you know I'm, savings is a word i would actually if i could manage to do it i'd ban it from macroeconomics it's irrelevant uh, because you what the, the end of the individuals can't save money into existence, but if you're trying to measure the change in the aggregate amount of money um, and, and see that as being based on savings, you're completely misunderstanding the macro economy. 
Mm. And yet we have people in government and policy positions in government who do precisely that uh, because they've taught a theory of economics which ignores the role of money. And so what they're going to say on money can be as stupid as what any other uneducated person can say on the same topic, but they've got a PhD in economics to back their uneducated statements. So you believe them, yeah. So, um, whereas I don't, so don't believe anything I say. So, uh, so banks are doing well uh, because... They are just charging higher interest rates on the loans they are giving out for the money that they've created. So you are, I mean, pure and simple, the mortgage is costing you more now. Yeah. It's going to take you longer to pay and back. Or you're having to- I mean, benefit for the bank, the danger is, is the bank's the value of the bank's bond portfolios. Yeah. But most banks on sell those, uh, the bonds they purchase on the, on the primary uh, treasury market, they on sell those to non-bank financial institutions. So Silicon Valley Bank was an exception on that front. So most of the pr- private lending authority, lending banks are not going to be suffering from the lower value of bonds uh, courtesy of a higher interest rate, but they are going to be making more on their loans. And that's quite a substantial amount more. You've what mortgage rates have gone from what two percent to seven percent. Well, I thought they were. I thought the opposite was how I thought they were hanging on. Well, before we got into the situation we're in now, they were they were shifting their cash reserves for bonds because at least they're getting interest payment mm. on it. But you're saying now, well, they will have got out of that game and they will have switched back to cash. Is that what you're saying? Well, no. What's saying with private private banks. Uh, when the, the way that the Treasury auctions go is that when the government is not allowed to sell bonds directly to the central bank, yeah. Okay? So what they, if there's a deficit, let's say the deficit is, let's use the UK type figures that say what three hundred billion pounds, mm-hmm. then the government issues three hundred billion pounds worth of bonds. The bonds are purchased on the primary market, which is made, made, made by, by by banks and and other institutions out of their reserves. have accounts at the at the, at the yeah. Bank of England. Yeah, they then can trade those on the open market and sell those to non-bank financial institutions, the uh, the Morgan Stanleys of the world, the, the pension funds and so on, which don't have accounts at the central bank, which, which are financial institutions. So most of the value of the bonds has turned up being owned by pension funds, right. insurance companies and, the, and things and, like and that. F- and, for the, and for the commercial banks, it's gone. Their, their reserves have gone back into cash. In yeah, they've gone back into cash. Uh, but but, but um, they... You know, I, I think so they're not losing out on bonds. So I mean, they will also, and maybe they've they've still got some bonds, but they have them of different lengths. They're not vulnerable in the same yeah. way that Silicon yeah. Valley Bank was, because they had a lot of long term, yeah. you know, long date, long dated government bonds. Yeah, therefore suffered very badly. Um, but it's so so in terms of the banks themselves, they are now allowed to charge a much larger larger rate of interest. Yeah, pure and simple. Yeah, w- without any nece- necessary increase in costs associated yeah. with yeah. it. Yeah. 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 So no wonder they're doing well. So should they be charged for that? Should we have a tax? Is it another opportunity to say, well, here's a there should be a windfall because this is they've not done anything to create this situation. It's just happened to them, like oil companies. Suddenly, you know, we put a windfall tax on them because oil prices went up, not from any action of their own. They were just mm-hmm. lucky. Anything to reduce the power of the financial sector, but it ain't going to happen. I mean, <laughs> you know, I just you know, it, it, it's a th- the frustrating element of seeing what the causal factors are behind things like house price bubbles, knowing that you're the way of preventing it and knowing that way is never going to be used. So the banks will continue profiting out of this. And you know, Marx's comment about the roving cavaliers of credit stands strong one and a half centuries after he made it. Well, it seems like, yes, they win whatever happens, doesn't it? You know, through good times or bad times. And then there's the builders 
they seem to be doing okay as well. They, I mean, they argue that they're not, but if we take uh, Persimmon, which is one of the big builders in the UK, yeah, it's got revenue of about three point eight billion pounds. Mm. Yeah, doing all right. Uh, that's twenty twenty two number. Its profit before tax was seven hundred thirty million. So that's a nineteen percent. That's a pretty high margin for building something. Yeah, isn't yeah. it? So uh, and and, you, and and that has to be because there's something that they're creating which is in demand and people are prepared to pay for it. Well, again, unfortunately, we've been dragged into a world where we speculate on property mm. rather than deciding to invest and try to innovate to a point of you know, new t- technology, which means we can fight with beat other com- other competitors. And this is just the sign of this. The extent to which speculation rather than investment dominates how economies behave. And the thing is, you don't make more money by having a more expensive house. You can't sell the kids for a higher price because they come out of a higher priced house. So what we've got is a focus on speculation rather than investment. And to Channel Keynes once more, when the, when, the, when, the, when, the invest, when the development of an economy is based on the activities, is a side effect of the activities of a casino, the process is likely to be all done. And I think we've got ourselves caught in a world dominated by speculation rather than investment. I guess, uh, even though it sort of hurts to think that here's a, a building company that's making, you know, getting close to a, towards a 20% margin, you'd be mm. thinking, well, how is that fair? In a way, maybe it's better for the economy that they are doing that because there is a ceiling on how much you can borrow based on how much you earn, so mm. how much the bank can lend to you. And if all the rest of it is basically going to, to the bank in terms of you know how much they're charging you for the margin, at least this is a slug of that money which is creating money for somebody. At least Persimmon is employing people and that you know that, that profit will be used to pay dividends to shareholders, some of which might be normal people. I, but be, you know, there's there's money being pushed back into the economy at least through the, the fact that they are taking a little bit out of all of this. I'm happy to, to some extent that it's actually a manufacturing firm that's getting some money out of this whole process. But rather 20% than the finan- still. But it's still, yeah. you know, you're a spin-off to the financial sector. The casino dominates the communist yeah. capitalism. And why why this particular part in the chain as well? Why wouldn't land value be pushed up so high if the end result is that we are paying so much for house That's what prices? is happening. Land value, land, the, the, the but, price of land is, the fact that there's a house on there is just an ancillary effect. Yeah. I mean, you, you need a house there be able to justify the valuation. But, 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 but when, a developer, the ha- when a developer buys up agricultural land, then yeah. they, it's a many, many, many multiples of the price they pay for the land to actually yeah. based on how much they're selling that property for at the end of the day. So mm. you would have thought landowners would be, you know, screwing them for more money than they than they are. So well, the, yeah, it, it, we live. We've, we've got a landlord financialized economy, which is not investing and not developing its own productive capabilities over time. So how do we get out of this situation then in countries like the UK, where uh, other than obviously, you know, controls on banks, and we've talked Mm. about that in the past, Mm. but can we also make it it harder for the banks to make more money by just bringing house prices down? So it's less of a speculation. So this preoccupation, for example, with everything being in the southeast of England, if we, mm. I mean, if we could lower the cost of housing, like, for example, new development areas. So doing stuff like, you know, new Milton Keynes, you know, towns that are developed. The, the idea is that they are a cheaper part of the country to try and attract people, attract new schools, new businesses, mm. setting up uh, entire new communities, almost like a start again approach where people will gravitate to properties 
property's cheap, education's good, uh, jobs are plentiful, uh, house prices are lower. I guess it wouldn't take long before house prices go up. That's the problem. Uh, it, again, it's focusing on the supply side rather than the demand side of housing and and fin- and and shares as well. And what drives those is the demand side, mm. not the supply side. I'd rather find a way of you know, reducing the, the flow s- of new mortgage debt. And that to do that, you've got to reduce house prices as well, because if you know if if you want to reduce the level of mortgage debt, you've got to reduce the level of house prices too, and that's why I go in favour of what I call a modern debt jubilee, mm. where you use the government's money, cash, and capability to require people to pay their mortgages down. Uh, you reduce the value of houses, but you reduce the value of debt that people have against those houses as well. Uh, we've just got to like the financial sector is probably three times the size that it actually needs to be. And what we, if we do, if we, by, by avoiding focusing upon the demand side and looking at who creates the demand uh, and then creates the house, the prices as well out of that, we're locked into a world where the, where the financial markets dominate it's everything. But there is a supply component to it as well, isn't there? I mean, the fact that. Yeah, but no- I mean, people, one of the. I mean, even if you think it's typical neoclassical, near supply and demand curve type arguments. Uh, everybody agrees that it takes a long time to change the supply. Mm. You've virtually got a vertical supply curve, mm. and people are trying to move that vertical supply curve rather than saying, well, actually what causes the house price is the level of demand. Where does the demand come from? A large part of it is levered financial demand. If we can reduce that, we can reduce the house prices well, that maybe it's, way. Maybe it's a bit of both, because, I mean, on the supply side, we are mm. very focused in one part of the country, aren't we? So mm. the median house price in Hull now... yeah. Who wants to live in Hull? I know. Good point. Thanks for asking it. £156,000. Yeah. The median house price in Guildford, just down the road from here, is 571000 So if you can't afford a house in Guildford, move to Hull. How far is Hull from Guildford? Pardon me being ignorant. Oh, so Hull is way up in the north of England. There so you it's go. sort of like, you know, it's okay. just Leeds, Yorkshire. It's, it's East Yorkshire, basically, mm-hmm. on, the, on the banks of the uh, glistening Humber. Mm. Um, and it's the oil that's glistening, the oil slicks. But yeah, I mean, it's a it's a, a million miles away from Guildford, okay. whereas okay. Guildford is Surrey, it's stockbroker belt. So yeah, it's a it's a it's a world of difference. But the price difference is uh, is huge. There's no jobs in Hull, of course. So, uh, but if there was an issue that you know we could solve that problem, the constraints of geography is doing its bit to constrain supply. And so that supply component. I hear what you're saying that you know mm. you've got to solve demand, but you've got to su- solve supply as well, haven't you? And it's the it, it is the geographic focus in the UK, which is creating that uh, that constraint. And that's why house prices. I only mentioned those two numbers because they are poles apart, and yet we are in the same country. And you can get between these two places in about yeah. two, and, two and, and a half hours on the train. You no longer have a diversified industrial structure. Mm. You're focusing, England made the deliberate decision under Maggie Thatcher to focus upon services rather than manufacturing. Manufacturing can be and was dispersed at the time. Uh, you know, Manchester was a, was one of the major industrial centres. Uh, when you get rid of the, the, the manufacturing and you've got left of services, it all focuses upon the city of London, the, the one, the square mile. Yeah. Uh, and therefore, you you get this incredible uh, diver- uh, disparity between prices where the stockbroker belt lives and prices where the you, what 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 once were factory workers live. If you want to reverse that disparity, you've got to bring back the industry. You can't do it with the current dominance. 
of over everything in the UK of the finance sector. Right. And that would be a big contributing factor to the rise in house prices because there's a shortage of, again, take your point on the demand. Yeah. But it's that shortage of supply because there's only a certain amount of properties available in the southeast, which is where all the work is. Oh, well, that's the well, most of the work is a fairly generous term there. Yeah. That's <laughs> all the gambling is. The, the, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. If you want to be, if you want to be a gambler, you've got to be close to the casino, and the yeah. casino is the square mile, and therefore prices in the square mile and within the vicinity of the square mile go through the roof. Uh, but you know what used to be the the prices in the industrial regions where there are no more jobs, they collapse. Yeah. So we need a, an industrial policy as well, as well as constraining Which banks. Which is the last thing the UK is going to develop. Yeah. Oh, my God, I'm a cynic. It Well, I'd, yeah. A plan would, any plan, any any sort of plan at all would be a good start, wouldn't it? Even if it's the wrong plan, we'll take it. At least this is a discussion point. <laughs> uh, look, next time uh, we're going to talk about QE uh, and QE versus the people's QE. Mm. Uh, and would a QE, which one works best? We know the answer to that. But, you know, would a, a people's QE actually work? Mm. Would this be the time to do it? It'd be inflationary to do that sort of thing now, wouldn't it? But we'll, we'll look at that on the podcast next week. Good to talk, Steve. The Thank Debunking you. Economics Podcast. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. If you've enjoyed listening to Debunking Economics, uh, even if you haven't, you might also enjoy the Y-Curve. Each week, Roger Hearing and I talk to a guest about a topic that is very much in the news that week. It's lively, it's fun, it's informative. What more could you want? So search the Y-Curve in your favourite podcast app or go to ycurve.com to listen.